Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is August the 1st, beautiful sunny day here in Boston. Glad to have you back after uh, a a two-day um, adventure taking the bar and then a little trip, um, a little trip after that, a little vacation for yourself. Um, it's been a slog. How uh, How are you feeling today? I'm excited to be back and excited to be doing this. I've missed recording with you and talking with you over these last couple of weeks so excited to get back in the the booth the studio the rooms whatever we might have uh, and hopefully get back into a nice little rhythm here as we round out the summer the bar was a beast so fingers crossed i don't hear back on that for a few months but hopefully really knocking on wood that i'm not gonna have to do that again because that was not a super fun experience but yeah, it's done. And so we'll just, we'll hope for the best and hopefully be back on regular schedule, regularly scheduled programming, Ricky. You know, one thing I was wondering, so what, give me something that you learned either about the law or about yourself in this, this like last 10 weeks of just, just crushing all, all things legal, Massachusetts legal. Oh, <laughs> well, there's, so many things about the law. I was just joking that I don't think, I think this or last week at least will be the most I ever know about the law. Like the, the, the broadest, like the breadth of my legal knowledge is never going to be greater. I think than it was heading into the test last week, because then I'll go on to my career in a very particular kind of law, which seems to be criminal law at this point, who knows down the line what it might be, but for the test itself, it's 14 areas of law it's secured transactions and corporations and partnerships and wills and trusts and estates and all of these things that i don't think i'm ever going to do and family like stuff i didn't take classes on because i am not interested in doing that and i just wanted to take classes and stuff i was interested in and i wasn't trying to prepare for the bar while i was in school which we'll see how that strategy uh ended up going but i think i uh, it was interesting just you got to really see like the full spectrum and that's what they test. And I think there are arguments for and against that, but getting to see like the, the full scope of at least on the surface level, full scope of like the American legal system. It is interesting. Like I didn't, aside from like the process being an absolute slog, I don't hate learning. I'm sure that's not uh, a surprise to anybody that listens here. And I, I do like, in I did enjoy learning more, things about all of these areas of law. And at least now I can get around in any of those areas. Not that I would consider myself an expert, but uh, having to then regurgitate that all in two six-hour sittings was not easy. I bet. I I always, I, th- I feel like that's a misconception about the legal profession or, um, well, yeah, whenever you have like a legal question, your first thought it's like oh let me call you know let me see what dan has got to say and his answer invariably is like that's i don't do that (laughs) no exactly it's the same thing it's like there are only a few professions but it's really like the true like quote-unquote professions we're like doctors too you know i have an uncle who's an orthopedic surgeon and i'm like oh my knee hurts and he's like i do surgeries you know like i don't i can't diagnose like why you're you have runner's knee right now you know it's but i do it anyway right because i i've got a doctor in the family i'm gonna ask him questions and so i i I fully anticipate that that is my life going forward now, and I will have to give many disclaimers of I am not an expert. This is not real legal advice, but I can tell you what I do know. Uh, yeah, you're never, never shy to share an opinion. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, with that, you know, as we sort of ease back into the things, I, I think we got a, a, a nice brief slate for the folks. But what are we uh, what are we talking about this week? Just a couple things that have come up in the last week that we wanted to touch on. 
Kind of a delicate first topic with, we're going to talk about the ages of our public officials and what, if anything, we should be doing about some of these, some of these officials, some of the laws that we have around or don't have around elected office at the federal level. And then we're going to talk about an interesting situation down in North Carolina where there has been a lot of reporting in the last week about a significant switch that happened back in April. One lawmaker, she switched her party from Democrat to Republican and helped North Carolina pass a very restrictive abortion bill. So we'll get into that saga with all the new reporting that's come out in the last week. But before we do get into those, a reminder to everyone, it has been a few weeks, Ricky, so maybe this is even a reminder to you that the podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen of Cannon Hill Woodworking. You guys know they've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. That's Cannon with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Ricky, I uh, got a, a little vacation you know, for these next couple of weeks, which I'm looking forward to. And maybe get a little more rest than I traditionally do. I know sometimes you worry about my my <laughs> rest or lack thereof. So I'm going to get some more. But uh, Ricky, if a tree wanted to take a nap, why might they need to do so? Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know where we're going with this one. Well, they might need it for rest. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't think that's bad. We should people celebrate these every week. Like how was how was the fun this week? Yeah. So, I think that was a solid five. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. The age of our national politicians has been in the news. For years at this point, due to President Biden's advanced age in particular, but also former President Trump's advanced age as well. And Ricky, it's a topic that we've talked about a couple of times on the program, but it flared up again this past week with two incidents that happened. The first was the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was giving a press conference and just stop speaking. And his aides and other other senators had to come up and to kind of take him away from the, the podium. It was it was a sad sight. And well, I'm sure we'll talk more about the specific incident. So we had that. And then you also had um, Senator Dianne Feinstein on the floor of the Senate last week. She was supposed to give a vote. She appeared confused on what she was supposed to do. And other senators whispering in her ear, just say, I just say, I just say, I and Senator Feinstein starts reading from prepared remarks. She thought she was supposed to make a, a speech or a statement on the proposed bill instead of give her vote. And so the senator again says, just say I. And Senator Feinstein says, just. Um, again, a sad incident. And obviously this comes on the heels of President Biden oftentimes struggling to speak, falling down at the, the Air Force graduation a couple months ago. And... So it, th- these are hard, hard situations. And so I'm curious, aside from just being like, this is, these are all individually concerning. What, what thoughts do you have? Is there, is there anything to be, if so, what should we be doing about it? Yeah. Age is such a delicate, as you said, a delicate topic to start with and just a difficult one because people as they are different age differently um you know some people's mental capabilities decline rapidly at 60 some at 70 yeah Yeah, you know diane feinstein has come up several times in the last like two years but she's 90 now and she's been around forever so um you know and like it wasn't it's not an issue until it is um which is very tricky uh because, you know, for all intents and purposes, these people can be very capable to a certain extent to a late age. But it's like almost like, you know, your driver's license exam. I think you start having to take it more often as you get older. And it feels like there should be some kind of evaluation at some point um, of, yeah, 
like whether or not these people are competent to continue in their roles as their roles are very consequential for the 300 million or so of us that live in this country, right? So that's like a, it's not just that we have to consider their feelings, their ability to perform their job is important. And like, you know, the, the thing with the, the just say I, like that's, I mean, it's, it's almost like, it's a little bit laughable, but it's also like, well, if she's not capable of thinking about what she's voting on, like, is that a situation that we want? That doesn't seem right either. Um, and like, obviously, yeah, she sits on the the democratic side of the aisle. So at least the whispers she gets are, you would think are in line with the, the desires of her constituency, but it's also just like, woo. That's that's scary. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a. I don't feel like I really have a good sense of what you should what should be done, but it feels like something. Sure. So as you mentioned, Senator Feinstein is the oldest senator. She's ninety years old. Senator McConnell is the fourth oldest senator. He's eighty-one years old. In between them, the Republican Chuck Grassley from Iowa is eighty-nine, and Bernie Sanders, the Independent. Democrat from Vermont is also 81, just a little bit older than um, Senator McConnell. President Biden is 81 years old, or President Trump is 76 years old. And so, Ricky, it's not just that some officials at the federal level are old, it's some of like the most important and consequential officials. And the reason that, so obviously we have the president and the former president that I just mentioned, you had the Senate majority leader, now the Senate minority leader, and then Senators Grassley, Sanders, and Feinstein sit on incredibly important committees because of their advanced age and how long they've been in the Senate, which in all of their cases is 30 plus years. And that's, it is concerning. I mean, it has to be concerning. And so even though it's a sensitive topic, it's something that we have to talk about. And so one of the people that has been talking about it is Nikki Haley, the presidential candidate, former UN ambassador, former governor of South Carolina. And she made headlines back when she launched her campaign in February when she said that there should be a mental competency test for people over the seven uh, age, uh, elected officials over the age of 75. I don't like particularly how Nikki Haley's talked about it. I, she seems quite insensitive and kind of tone deaf in how she's discussing some of these issues. But the idea itself, I think it, it can't be just dismissed out of hand. Yeah, I mean, I think for one, I wouldn't extend it just to the age. Like if you want to have a, some kind of mental competency exam that you think everyone should be able to pass, then make everyone take it, right? Just like your driver's license. That's a good point. The, like, you know, there are some, <laughs> some uh, congressmen and women on both sides of the aisle that you think might have some <laughs> difficulty with that. Yeah. I think it, all, it it always comes down to like the same potential problem it's like okay but then what do you ask on such an exam and what qualifies um like is it just this you know can you write your own name down and can you make sense of this like these sentences should it be that base level or or should it have something more to it um i think i i mean i i I would imagine that's like going to be the 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 linchpin is like how how do you assess mental competency and what that actually means um which is agreed yeah tricky yeah so i i just i i see where nikki haley's coming from and obviously this also benefits her as i think she's 51 years old and so like it's very easy to her it's 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 advantageous for her to advocate for something like this but I, again, just because we've said this many times, Ricky, just because we might not like the source of the idea doesn't mean that we should just dismiss the idea itself. And so I don't think that the competency test is a good idea. But I do think it's an interesting, I think there's two other ways to solve it. I want to get into both of them. The first is you could put a, a strict age limit, a cap on the offices for the House, the Senate, and for president. We have, as I'm sure everyone listening knows, minimum ages for all of those positions. You have to be 25 to be in uh, in the House of Representatives. You have to be 30 to be in the Senate. And you have to be 35 to be president. And I think there's legitimate argument about whether we should have minimum age limits 
because who's to say that someone at 34 wouldn't be qualified to be president or a 29 year old be senator or 24 year old to be in the house right like at some point the founders put had to make arbitrary cutoffs you know some 24 year olds might be able to some 46 year olds might not be able to like that says i think that's just obvious people are different but you have to make cutoffs we make cutoffs all the time arbitrary cutoffs whether it's for driver's license or alcohol or whatever it is even though we know that it's not totally fair so is it ridiculous to put in place a 75 year old limit for say president an 80 year old limit for the house 85 year old limit for or 85 80 year old limit for senate 85 year old limit for the house i i don't know like if we have minimum ages why shouldn't we have maximum ages yeah it's i mean it's I, I think it's a fair point. I almost feel like the answer is less to put a maximum age and like this is this is another one of the things where we have well, the Senate is potentially tricky because they have six year terms and that's like a very long period of time between the age of 75 to 81 kind of thing. Um, but it's I mean, to some extent, like this is what we have elections for us to choose who can lead us and judge their mental competency as individuals and not worry about whether or not their age makes them seem a certain way or not. Right. Like that, that would be my argument against it. Like if you you take up Bernie Sanders, for instance, he's still very much with it has probably energy that doubles half, you know, senators half it, his age and he's a very good advocate for sort of the social progressive causes that he believes in. Do I necessarily, you know, in order to remove the Diane Feinsteins and the Chuck Grassley's of the world, do I think an age limit is appropriate if it means that there are certain people who are beyond that age who can still do the job at a very high level? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't disagree that, it's as arbitrary to have an age minimum as it potentially could be to have an age maximum. But I don't necessarily know that that's in the best interest. We have elections where people are supposedly supposed to be thoughtfully thinking about who they're electing. And that should be it. I I do think, you know, to some degree, the parties should take a little bit more interest in who they are kind of putting forward to represent them like that there should be a potentially a little bit more discussion about like okay you're at this age now like if you want a successor for your ideas like help hand pick them but you're not going to be around forever and we need to recognize that like instead of this idea that you can't ever run challenges against you know that you really shouldn't challenge sitting senators within the party kind of thing yeah, and we talked about that actually a little bit. This is slightly different, but with the changes in the Democratic House leadership, once um, former Speaker Pelosi stepped down as as the leader of the Democrats in the House, and Steiny Hoyer, representative from Maryland, who's similarly like late seventies, I think, also stepped down. And in place, we have Hakeem Jeffries, who's younger, Catherine Clark, who's younger, and so I think that's a nice that's a nice way to do it. Like if you're Republican, Republicans take back the Senate next year. It's I I think you you'd want to have those same discussions. This would be a place being like Senator McConnell, like you you've led us very capably for many years now, but like our leadership should reflect maybe a, a newer generation of ideas. That that helps solve it a little bit, but it doesn't help solve like the electability of these people. So I actually want to get in. So my first option was, I guess we had I guess the first option was competency test. I don't love that. Second option would be age limits, and again that would have to be a constitutional amendment because. It's in the Constitution, the minimum ages. My third option, Ricky, and curious if your argument against this is the same, would be term limits. And term limits wouldn't necessarily solve this problem on its own, but it, it would avoid situations where you have. So I think Grassley and McConnell have been serving in the Senate since the early 80s, Feinstein since the early 90s. President Biden served. We know in the Senate from 73 to 2009, 36 years. Term limits, whatever you want to make them for senators, would likely make would make it unlikely that you have senators that are serving 
in their 70s and 80s. Is it possible that someone could run for the first time at 72 and get elected several times and still be in their late 80s, early 90s? Of course it is. But I think what happens most often is that you have these senators who get elected when they're relatively young and then just stay there for the rest of their careers, 40 plus years for McConnell uh, and Grassley and certainly between Biden's time in the White House as well. He's he's approaching 50 years in D.C. Uh, so what about something like that to solve this issue? Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of term limits just in general. Age, comp- mental competency, et cetera. Irregardless, I think term limits are a very beneficial way to potentially like you you get a side benefit of dealing with this problem. But just in general, you deal with a lot of other issues, namely the fact that you end up with sort of this these entrenched beliefs that you can't change. And then, of course, the people that are there the longest have the most seniority. So they continue to direct policy sort of long after maybe the initial ideas that got them elected are still in vogue kind of thing. So it's a yeah, I mean, I I would be in favor of term limits. I think that applies equally across the board to whether you get in at 30 to whether you get in at 60. Um, I, I don't think it really like in any way discriminates against someone or, you know, for their for for any real reason. And I think that all governments benefit from a turnover of personnel, but also ideas. I think there is like, you have to think about the different branches in term limits in different ways. Like I feel like the four years for president is actually a pretty good amount. Maybe Senate is 12 or 18 or whatever it is. I think obviously there are benefits to having people who have been around the block and you don't necessarily want it entirely turnover uh, every time, but there is something to be said for these like the historical baggage that people carry and sort of, I think every individual has kind of a a limit of their ability to kind of absorb new ideas and really like the energy that they bring to the position. I think there's like a lot to be said for term limits as like a way to deal with this, but also just in general to deal with some of the stagnation that we have in Washington. I think those are all fair, fair arguments. My question, though, is how isn't that how is that different from my age limit proposal earlier? Again, not that I was particularly advocating for it, but your response to the age limit thing was, isn't this why we have elections so people can choose the best person for them? And if that best person for them is 80 year old Bernie Sanders, let's choose him. And so say we we put you know a two term limit in the Senate. Now you've taken away the ability for people from Vermont to choose Bernie Sanders, even though he might be the best person for them. That's why I've always kind of pushed back even against, I think people are aware, like the pres- the presidential term limits was uh, the 22nd Amendment wasn't passed until 51, I don't think. Like originally there was no presidential term limit till post FDR in his four terms. But you could certainly argue, Ricky, one, like if you look at the presidential candidates in the last couple of years, like a couple of cycles, 2016 in particular, when you had the, the two most unpopular with Trump and Clinton, and we might beat that in 2024 with Trump and Biden. Like, whatever you think about President Obama and the job that he did, if President Obama was allowed to have run in 2016, again, I don't know that he would have, he probably would not have, but if he would have been able to, I don't think there's any doubt that he would have been reelected. And so like, if he's the best person to do the job, why shouldn't we as voters have that option? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like I think you're pointing out a little bit of an inconsistency in kind of my my reasoning here. I think there is. I, I mean, there's something to be said for the fact that in general, like dictators tend to have a solid group of people who are in support of what they're doing. Right. Like there's. Yeah, unfortunately, like, unfortunately, there's kind of like an element of democracy where it's like the majority is not always necessarily right in terms of what they're doing for the for the long term. And this is like a mechanism that allows us to save us from ourselves in some way. Um, So, yeah, it is. I don't know that 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 argument is fully consistent, but I think I've. 
this is where I get it. Like, I think the heart of a term limit isn't is benefits in more ways than just like getting out people who shouldn't be reelected because they're incompetent. It it is very much designed to limit the power or influence that any one person has on the system over an extended period of time, whether or not people are in favor of that. Right. Yeah. And I, I think obviously the founders talked about term limits and they wrote about this in, in the Federalist Papers and eventually they kind of settled on the argument that you lay out where as smart of a person as you are and as good a decent person as you are, there is a lot of benefit to be gained from institutional knowledge. Like, like what you might think that like you would be a good senator, but you don't really know how to be a good senator until you've done it for a little bit. And I, I think you could fairly argue the same thing, whether it's in the House or as president too, where that there's benefit to having people that have been around. I think the hard part is, Ricky, is to attack my argument, is that like what, when you give people choice, you kind of expect it to be all even, but it's not, right? And so like, even though everyone might recognize that President Biden is too old, there's no one that's really running against him in the Democratic primary right now. Even if we all recognize that, like, hey, Senator McConnell or Senator Feinstein, Senator Feinstein's not running in 2024, but, like, we knew this several years ago. So, But McConnell's going to run again, probably, and Sanders will probably run again. And even if you know they're too old, well, who's who's going to run against them in their war chest of millions of dollars and their name recognition because they've been a senator for 40 years? Like, it's it's almost impossible to unseat these people. And so you're not actually giving voters a real chance to switch it up. And so I think that's, I think, a really strong argument against my, it should always be up to the voters to decide. But I do think there's, like, some real tension there. I, and I'm, I'm still not sure how I feel about it, honestly. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... Now, my, now I feel like my recollection of like U.S. history is like way off, but Washington specifically like didn't run for any more reelections because he had this sense that like this is how you end up with a king without the name, right? Like it's and I mean, in many ways, you look at kind of McConnell's reign over the Republican Party in the Senate, and he is kind of kingmaker in there in many ways. And he has been for quite some time. And there's like, there are obviously some pros to that. He's a pretty deaf politician. He's knows how to navigate. He can navigate as within the minority and also as when they're in the majority and he's gotten a lot of things done, but it's pretty much all been at his, you know, or largely influenced by the direction that he sees. And so, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I I don't disagree that there is some tension there. I th- I think in the, we're, there's just always this idea that, or in my mind that like democracies just benefit from new ideas regardless um, of all. Yeah, that. look, yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and I just think you got to like like any true philosophical democratic questions, it's you just got to balance competing goods, right? The the good of new ideas and not stagnation and no one, in, you said it really nicely, no one individual having too much it's like influence and power over the system or within the system versus like the true democracy that we, you and I often really like is like let voters decide, right? And whether we agree with it or not, whether we agree with who they elect, like it's it's their decision. If they want to elect an 81-year-old senator, go back out there and represent them, like more power to them. But I think going back to what we were saying, I, the reason we have to talk about it is because these are people making really critical decisions. And like the stuff when you have Senator Patty Murray whispering in Diane Feinstein's ear, like, yes, she probably would have voted for that anyway. If she was 100% mentally competent, she probably would have voted for it. But we only have a hundred votes in the Senate to think that we might have one person that's just being manipulated by her colleagues in a 50, 50 Senate, essentially like that's not great. And to think that you have a, a minority leader who's like holding up judges, you know, that he's not letting some of president Biden's judges to, we can't even like think, can't even speak for an extended period of time. Like that's, there are real consequences to our democracy. And I think that would be another argument for either term limits or some sort of, you know, age cap. And again, so I don't, I've been against these ideas for a long time, but it's when you start to see, like, it's, (laughs) 
<laughs> and this goes back to our conversation from a couple weeks ago. It's like, do I just stick to my principles because I think we should always let the voters decide whoever they want? Like when you see the effects that it's having, you're like this is really not great. Uh, I, I, there's there's a healthy tension there. And I, again, I still don't know what side I fall on, but I've been more persuaded than I had been previously that we something might be need to be done here. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'll leave you the parting t- thought on this topic. I don't know if you've been following this aspect. I mean, it, it's a little bit uh, morbid, but um, as soon as this happened with McConnell, there's a big sort of debate going on in Kentucky where, so Kentucky has a Democrat governor, but a very strongly Republican legislature um, that who would be And so obviously, if McConnell's not able to complete his term, then there has to be someone to replace him. The Republican legislature has basically like put forth this law that whoever is whoever replaces McConnell, and I believe in Kentucky, they do it by appointment would be and appointed by the governor has to be a Republican. Whereas um like in Massachusetts, when this happened, when Ted Kennedy died, we had a special election. I think for some reason that's like not the not the how Kentucky does it. And I guess the states may have their own like or may have sort of leeway to figure out how they do it themselves. But I just I I think that this little episode is is interesting in terms of just like as you said, right, a fifty fifty Senate. Like this vote is potentially very important, especially you know, given that we're heading into an election year. Um, so I don't know if you'd follow that at all. Well, I'll just say something that you kind of job in mind, and we didn't bring up that the federal judiciary also does not have an age limit. And we frequently have justices to sit on courts at all levels, including the Supreme Court, who are 70s and 80s. And it's a reason why presidents these days are appointing judges to this, these courts who are in their 40s and 50s because they want them to stay and make the policy that they like for or make the legal rulings that they like for 30 or 40 years. Uh, but I, the same thing applies, right? Is like when Justice Ginsburg unfortunately died, like she kind of died at the wrong time, right? And there, there was nothing like illegal about her. You know, she was well within her rights to stay in her post until she died, but that had real consequences for people. And that, that's why I, that it's the same thing here, right? If, if, Hopefully, you know, God willing, none of the senators die. But if they do, you now you have people who weren't necessarily elected to make these decisions in places to to make these decisions. So, yeah, I I, I think the more you, you talk about stuff like this, and you think about the real life effects of like these health consequences or people unfortunately dying at inopportune times, seems like something. Like I said we should at least be having a serious debate about whether something should be done. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like actually this is a, a decent transition because it kind of ends on the idea of like, are we electing people, individuals, or are we electing ideas? So when we come back, um, we'll talk about this recent story in uh, North Carolina. All right. So as you were sort of feverishly uh, getting in your last minute studying, you messaged me and you were like, I don't really have time to look at topics this week. You let me know what we should talk about. And my first message to you was Trisha Cotham. And you didn't give me much reaction, but understandably so. I think you have to dive a little deep into this story to, to fully be either unnerved or just to start to like think about it a little bit um, because I'm not, I think, you know, the, obviously the left-leaning public or sort of the more liberal publications that I read are, have a specific take on this. And I'm not entirely sure where I fall. Although when you read this story, it's all, it's, it's one of those ones where you're like, you couldn't make this up. So for people who are not aware of what's been going on in North Carolina, so North Carolina is obviously, um, or has been recently, like a more purple state. In 2020, um, the election went, uh, I think, was decided by less than a percentage between Trump and Biden. Trump took it um, at that point. But the state Senate and the state House of Representatives have pretty bulletproof Republican majorities. 
Um, so it's 60% in the state Senate and it was close to 60% in the state house and why that's important. So North Carolina's super majority threshold is three fifths, three fifths being 60%. So when you have that, you're able to, uh, with the super majority override, um, vetoes by the state governor who is a Democrat why further that's important obviously there are a lot of uh sort of very tight pieces of legislation going through in response to um the supreme court ruling of roe v wade and one in north carolina in particular was a proposition to reduce the state's limit on abortion from 20 weeks down to 12 weeks um this is like a huge backstory i'm giving but basically uh, that piece of legislation was stalled out because the Republicans didn't have the supermajority in the state house that they needed to override the governor's veto of this bill. Fast forward to April, uh, this past April of 2023, a reliably Democratic vote in their state house, Trisha Cotham, switched parties from Democrat to Republican. And she cast basically a deciding vote to uphold the legislation and basically override the governor's veto to change this restriction on abortion. Um, Before I let you hop in here, I I have to give some backstory on this woman. So she was in the Republican, she was in the Democratic Party for a long time. Her family has like kind of deep ties to the Democratic Party. She was a Democrat in the, in the, sorry, in the, in the state House of Representatives from, for almost 10 years from 2007 to 2017. I'm not entirely sure if she got voted out or if she sort of voluntarily left. She ran for re-election again in 2022. One of, you know, a fairly contested Democratic primary and then kind of won a landslide in the general, I think, 18 points um, over her Republican uh, over her Republican adversary in that election. Um, She had been a staunch sort of supporter of reproductive rights, in fact, going so far as to like talk about her own experiences having an abortion in 2015 when there was like a another piece of legislation kind of restriction restricting access i think it was like extending the like a wait time a wait period from when you sort of show up to get an abortion to when they allow you to get an abortion um very sort of passionately arguing in 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 defense of reproductive rights and then it comes out that a lot of her, her supporters during this Democratic primary, this most recent cycle, were actually within the GOP. So I'm not entirely sure where I want you to start with this, but maybe we can start with this idea of like, how should voters feel about the fact that someone they elected because they believed that she believed these things no longer believes those things or like switched allegiances in such a way that these consequential votes that had, that were taking place are now like the balance of powers is flipping so much. Sure. If you're someone that voted for her, you have every right to be feel betrayed to feel angry and yeah, I don't begrudge them at all. She's certainly not the first politician to switch parties and maybe we can get into like some of the more consequential ones nationally, but that's the thing in a lot of ways is like you're voting on these people based on how they represent themselves during the election. But then once they get there, they're largely free to do what they want until the next re-election and that's if, if you are if particularly infuriated by you know trisha Cotton, Cotton, then like don't vote for her next time you know it's it's in a different way it's like the george santos stuff with like he just like like falsely made up his entire resume he just wasn't at all who he said he was and that may or may not be you know similar to what the situation here is with trisha Cotton, but as we have procedures for this, which 
which is the election coming up next year, to if, if you no longer want to think this person represents you, then don't vote for them. But I think that's this is the system we have, and then you're just kind of stuck with it until you have a chance to change it. Yeah, so, so I'm really glad that you brought up George Santos because I think that this is an interesting point counterpoint, right? Like he specifically, like very blatantly lied about who he was, but his politics have relatively been consistent. How he votes is how you would expect him to vote based on what he ran on as his like policies. This woman, for all intents and purposes, is actually did you know didn't like lie maybe maybe she didn't sort of reveal how some of her inner thinking about abortion or abortion rights have changed but you know based on her credentials based on her past actions and based on the party ticket that she was running on you believed or voters would have believed that this is how when we send you to the house we expect you to vote And now she's doing kind of the complete opposite. And I mean, I think we can talk about sort of whatever the Joe Manchin's, Kristen Cinemas of the world, but they're a little bit different in that on certain issues, they're more, you know, quote unquote independent. Obviously they're basically Republican in those, in those specific areas, but in, in, I think in principle, and then maybe like even more so like on social issues, they're still relatively like democratic, like they're not going to be voting for those types of. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a bit of a way for like a Joe Manchin to be like, well, I have been consistent, just the Democratic Party has sort of shifted around me and I'm still I'm still Joe Manchin. And this is like feels decidedly different. But at the same time. I've long lamented that we send people to Congress as individuals and then they show up as a blob of whatever their party is doing. That's what they're doing. And so this is this is the conflict for me. But, you know, yes, they North Carolina, whenever they do another election that she's going to be up for, they'll have a chance to replace her. I would imagine that it's not going to be hard to be like to get rid of her. She won in a district that won by, you know, went for the Democratic ticket by 18%. That's going to be very hard for her to retain, especially given her voting record on these hot button social issues. That said, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily know how I feel about it because at the same time, yeah, they'll have a chance to replace her, but this was a very consequential vote that they sent her to vote a specific way or that they elected her in because they expected her to vote a specific way and she's doing the opposite. And so that's like, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I, I would be enraged if I was the woman in North Carolina who sent her into office in order to protect my, my reproductive rights. And then she did the exact opposite. But as you said, what, what's to be done about something like that? Like there, I mean, theoretically, every politician can get there and and do what they want. They can say one thing and do another. And (laughs) there are, infinite examples of politicians doing exactly that i i think this is this has gotten so many headlines because of like the really unique nature of it where she was in many ways the deciding vote for this very consequential law to go into place but that's what like what else what else are you going to do you elect people and you hope that they are who they say they are and sometimes you're let down by that and that's the only way to change that is at the next election does this reveal any flaws in our system? Is there anything like wrong with this? I mean, I, I think you could certainly argue it's not. There's there's some like real moral issues on on her end, but systemically, nothing jumps out to me. You got anything in mind? I don't know. I guess so there is like, you know, the undercurrent that I think the liberal news media outlets are are pointing to is that, yeah, she ran in this district as a Democrat, but she was being supported by kind of heavyweights in the GOP. So like there is possibly a a trail that says that like they kind of knew that she was going to be ready to flip 
once she got in there. But given the district that she was running in, a heavily Democratic district, they wanted her to run as a Democrat because of how few people, well, I mean, A, she was saying all the sort of the Democratic talking points, I would assume, during the run-up to her election. And B, she, yeah, I mean, when people vote, especially like at the state House of Representatives or state Senate level, they're just, many of them are just voting on the ticket. And so like, is there an element of like fraud here that just the Democratic Party would like fail to suss out? Like, is there anything? I mean, right, like we have rules against people voting in elections that they're not registered for their party. Like and we've talked about this, that that may not necessarily serve people in the best way, but it is ostensibly because you don't want people voting for people to lose kind of that there's that there's something about the integrity of this election that was potentially thwarted because people at that level of politics often don't know very much about the people that they're electing and they kind of trust their institutions whether it's like the state democratic party or whatever to kind of do a lot of that vetting for them yeah i don't know if this is just like a failure of uh of homework by by people who should have seen this coming or is like is there something potentially more insidious or do we want people who can get support from republicans and democrats and we and we like don't like and this isn't necessarily a problem it just like feels like one I see why it feels like a problem. And again, I think it's that's because of like the unique nature of this situation. To me, it's not that different than the stuff we talked about in the 2022 midterms when Democrats were heavily funding far-right candidates in Republican primaries, knowing that if the far-right candidate won, the Democrat would have a better shot of winning that race for the House or the Senate or whatever. And I think that's that's right. Like it was, it was good strategy. And that's exactly what happened with when you had the far right candidates who won those primaries, they came out and then lost the general election and democratic operators can pat themselves on their back and say like, look, we did a, we did the right thing. And if there was like nefarious behavior by the Republican party here, like they're also patting themselves on the back. Like they got the result that they wanted. And I don't love that personally. I, I I don't think that's good for the country, for like our system. Like what, what I said at the time when we were talking about that on the national level in 2022 was that like, well, you're playing with fire here because if if this far right candidate wins the primary and then wins the general, that's everything that you, you're hoping to guard against. But that, that these are the odds you play in elections. And it's like, all's fair and love and war and politics. Like I, I know that's not the real saying, but it's it's essentially what it is. And so, yeah, if if there was actual nefarious behavior going on here, I don't like that. At the same time, let's not pretend like it doesn't exist across the spectrum and across the country. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think if North Carolina really wants to think about what's wrong with North Carolina politics right now, it's that you have a pretty 50-50 state but you've got Republican supermajorities in the, in the Senate and the, in their state house. Like that's the more issue and that gerrymandering and whatever else, like that's really where you have to go. It's not the individual. I, I, I think that that's, I think that that's a fair conclusion. Um, I don't know if you've got a, a, a positive spin on this one, but uh I'll probably leave it there. That wasn't a negative spin. <laughs> we don't always have to like try to salvage. That was just a fine conversation. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it there. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Good to be back, Ricky. And uh, thank you to everyone that listens. As always, you can check us out on Instagram at a underscore gentleman's underscore disagreement. We have our, it's August 1st today. Our monthly newsletter will be coming out within the next week or so. So if you are interested in that, to get some behind the scenes nuggets about the podcast and some a throwback episode every month, you can reach out to us on Instagram or text us, or you can send us an email at gentlemen can disagree at gmail.com but we appreciate everyone who, who reads the newsletter follows us on instagram listens to us and we're excited to be back i think we're gonna have a, a really good uh, stretch coming up yeah and we got a little bit of uh some good feedback on our trivia question that we shared so we'll try and uh try and drop one in there for you as well 
um, please uh, keep an eye out for that and, and send us your responses. Uh, but until next time, bud. Talk to you soon. Talk to you. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads, running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away, some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head folks of different minds because even though we did not share opinions we share that American idea friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz need an early morning buzz learn the hard way but to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than a ram Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten The value sometimes Being wrong Some mornings you away Some morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head and folks of different minds because though we didn't share opinions we share loud American ideals friends made over arguments and an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz there's hope behind the bluster cause though Main Street may not sell Full of folks just like you and me. When we have trouble seeing the human for the politics, it's time to find a better way to disagree. Some days you win, some days we'll leave your ego through. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find and chase the lion's head. Folks with different minds Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz oh, What I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks with different minds Because though we did not Share opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. I need an early morning buzz.